Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good to see all of you. Do me a favor. Turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. We are going to be in Haggai chapter 2. We're taking about six weeks to look at two of the minor prophets, and uh, we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, But as you're turning to Haggai 2, we're going to finish this book uh, today. Um, I don't know if you feel like this. I I think there's some reasons why, but this is just as I was kind of studying this week and as I was thinking this week, um, this is one of those weeks where I just was overwhelmed with how good God is and how great his love is for us. Like, I think there's something that happens with people in Western Michigan that when the, you know, we start to see 60 degrees on the temperature outside, it's like, man, God does remember us. He does see us and he's so good. And then on top of that, the bridge is open. It's like, man, what more could we ever want in this life than 65 degrees and a bridge that works that you can drive on? Man, God is so faithful. And um, in all seriousness, you know, I, I think of the world he's given us. I think of the gift of life. I think of oceans and mountains and plains and just this beautiful creation every day we get to see another evidence of God's beauty and his love and his patience with us. I think primarily about Jesus. Like I'm still not over the reality that Jesus is alive. I'm still celebrating Easter and and he reigns and he's Lord and he saved us and he made a way when there is no way. I think about the gift of God's word that he's given us his word so that we might have life and joy and victory and know him and know how to serve him and follow him and and please him in this life. I think of the church and my relationships and friendships I have and people here that hold me up and pray for me and hold me accountable, that he's given us a family, his continual provision for us day in and day out. I think of the holiday we're celebrating, Mother's Day, man. Moms are such a blessing, aren't they? Listen, I've already texted my mom. I, you know, said I loved her and, you know, said it was an honor to be her favorite kid. I've done my job already. Um, So I need you to do your job. Listen, if you are sitting next to a mom, either your mom or the mom of your kids, just turn to them and say, you're an amazing mother. Can you do that? Right, isn't isn't that sweet? I hope that's not the extent of how you're honoring the moms in your life today. But listen, isn't God's love for us so good and amazing and astounding? Do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's love for you is amazing. It's true. We all have been loved so much more than we could ever deserve. But church, here's why I'm driving at this right now. Look at me. This is important. Um, There's a danger that you and I face this morning. And here's the danger is that we can look at all of these things about God, his kindness, his love, and we can somehow believe the lie that God is weak or can be taken for granted, or can be taken advantage of. And that's a lie. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 puts it this way. It says this, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you see how the writer of Hebrews talks about God? It's not a cuddly teddy bear. It's a consuming fire that when we come into this place, we better have a sense of reverence and awe and he better be at the right place in our hearts. There's a famous passage 
in the Chronicles of Narnia, which is written by C.S. Lewis. And if you know those stories, it's kind of C.S. Lewis's allegory for Christianity in the kingdom of God. And they're, um, in this book, he's describing Aslan the lion, who is God in this story. And Susan, one of the kids who kind of walk into this magical world, she's about to meet Aslan. And she's talking with Mr. Beaver. And this is what he says. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's king, I tell you. And um, I'm going to be honest with you. um, Preaching from the prophets is dangerous. And, And here's why when we study the prophets, it's dangerous. Because why did God raise up prophets? It was to confront the sin of his people. Israel would turn away from God. They would go their own direction. He would raise up a prophet to tell them the truth, to speak into their sin. Why does God record the prophets in his word? To speak into the sin of our hearts. And this weekend, we're going to talk about sin and repentance. And by the way, this is something that churches just don't talk about enough. Maybe we haven't enough. But I promise you, this isn't going to be a message that makes you feel warm and fuzzy but it's important. It's something we have to get after if we're going to be a church and a people that honor God. So again, open up to Haggai 2. We're going to start at verse 10. It says this. It says, On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his uh, fold to bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. And then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answers and said, yes, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Okay, here's what we're driving at this morning. Here's the big question. What does God think about the condition of your heart and worship today? What does God think about the condition of your heart and worship today? I've been praying all week that even just for a moment, we could move past the fear and concern about what other people think about us. Because it doesn't matter what your spouse thinks about the condition of your heart, what your parents think about the condition of your heart, what your small group leader thinks about the condition of your heart. What does God think about your heart as you walk into his house this morning? I don't even care about what you think. What does God think? Can you even ask yourself that question? So what's happening in these verses is um, God speaks through Haggai and he goes, ask the priest this question. And the priests were experts on the law. They would know this very, very easily. Here's what he says. He goes, listen, if you take holy meat, meat that's been dedicated to God, and you put it in your, your shirt, okay? And if your shirt touches other food or, or wine or oil, does it make those things holy? And the priests are like, no, it doesn't. Only the meat that's been dedicated to God is holy. And he's like, you're right. And he goes, now, if you touch a dead person and become unclean, and then you touch food or oil or wine or other things, do those things become unclean? And the priest's like, yes, it works differently with uncleanliness. If you are unclean because you touch something, everything you touch becomes unclean. And God's laying out this big principle, and it's the first point in your notes, it's this. It's that impurity is way more contagious than holiness. 
He's saying if you touch something that's holy, it doesn't transfer to everything around it. But if you touch something that's unclean, it stains everything. And we know this, right? Like dirtiness and sickness is way more contagious than cleanliness and health. Last week, my family was able to go on vacation and we had the classic family of six thing happen to us. One morning, Judah, our youngest, he woke up and he was congested and running a fever. Guess what happened 24 hours later? Another one of my kids woke up, congested, running a fever. Guess what happened 24 hours later? One of my daughters, congested, running a fever. Guess what happened 24 hours? Like, it just worked its way through the whole family. When, when you're unhealthy, when you're sick, it's contagious, right? We don't send our sick kids to school so they can catch the health of the kids at school, right? We keep the sick kids home because we know we're going to tank that whole classroom and everyone's going to get sick. I've never once had a kid who's been filthy from playing outside walk into a clean house and the house makes them magically clean. No, they make the house dirty. It's how it works. Sin and impurity is much more contagious than holiness. Right? We talk about this all the time. You can't trade. Look at me. You can't trade off of your parents' faith. You can't trade off of your grandparents' faith. You can't trade off of your mentor's faith or your small group leaders or your spouse's faith. You can't trade off of your pastor's faith. Your relationship with God and your salvation is between you and the Lord, but sin is contagious. And God says this whole people is stained as if they've touched something that is dead. And this is really terrifying to think about. And I want to talk to the men in this room for a second. And, and, and do you know that your unrepentant sin and I want to clarify this because when Haggai's talking about sin, he's not saying that we all have to be perfect or that no one can make a mistake or, or that we act in a way that we regret and we try to go make it right. He, he's talking about unrepentant sin, things in our life that we know is wrong, that we know is an offense to God that we don't do anything about. Men, do you know that the sin that you're refusing to do anything about to deal with can devastate and stain your whole family? that it can destroy relationships with others, that it can impact an entire church. Look at the rest of verse 14. It said, Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Okay, here's the next thing we say. It's this. It's that unclean hearts produce unaccepted worship. Unclean hearts produce unaccepted worship. Do you see what God says here? He says, not only are their hearts unclean and not only does everything they touch is that unclean, but their worship is unclean. First Samuel 15, 22 says this, has the Lord is a great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God's like, listen, I don't care about the sacrifices. I want hearts that are obedient, hearts that are soft, hearts that deal with the sin in their lives. And church, here's where I need to really begin to press in. Like, listen, you know you can't fool God, right? Like, do you believe that God actually sees, that he knows? How many of us are here today, right now, making a mockery of God because of the condition of our hearts as we enter his house? We come into this place, we go through the motions, we do just the bare minimum, knowing that there are areas of our hearts that are just not surrendered to God. And we 
don't care. We're going to sit through it. We're going to listen to the message. And then we're going to keep doing the things we want to do. Our hearts are set on it. We're going to keep pursuing sin. Our hearts are hard, mocking God as we present to him unclean worship. How many here are mocking God by singing praises to his name in light of the lives you've lived even this past week? Like, do you think God is unaware? Do you think he's aloof? Do we even think of God? Do we think of repentance? Does it even cross our minds that when we come into his house, we should come with our hearts made right before him so we can offer a pure sacrifice of praise? God, forgive us for being so arrogant. Haggai tells God's people, your hearts are defiled and your worship is defiled. And I know here's what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, um, Cal, like, isn't this like Old Testament, old, you know, old covenant God where God's fiery and angry? And didn't like Jesus really just chill God out? Like, like does God get this frustrated and upset with the sin in our lives? Like, I think you're, you're talking to the wrong people. You're talking about the wrong Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. We're going to see the same thing play out. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21, it says this, The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 30 says this. It says, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So when they eat of the bread and drink of the cup or for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Right, God's saying, how dare you come into my house and take communion, which is you identifying with the body and blood of Jesus when your hearts are not in the right place. He goes, you're actually bringing on judgment upon you. And it was so bad in the Corinthian church, people were actually getting sick and dying because they weren't dealing with their sin as they entered to worship. Commentator Michael Stead, when talking about Haggai 2, says it this way, there is no way unclean offerings in an unclean temple could cleanse an unclean people. How do you come in here today? Can I ask you that? Big question, what does God think about the condition of your heart in worship today? Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Keep your fingers in Haggai 2, but I want you to turn to the end of your Bible in Revelation 2. And we're going to look at six examples of different impurities that we might bring into this place today. And what I want to focus on is I want to focus on the impurities or the problems with the churches that Jesus had in the book of Revelation. And if you don't know, Revelation is a book about the end times and it's a prophetic book. And Jesus meets with his disciple, John, and he starts the book off by saying, hey, I want to give you, I want you to write down seven messages I have to seven different churches. And in five of those seven letters, he calls the churches to repent. So when we're thinking about, all right, what might we need to repent of? Well, let's look at what Jesus spoke into in the churches that he wrote to. And uh, throw up the, the next slide if you have it. I kind of have a chart that will help you graph it. In Revelation 2.4, he writes this. He writes, you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's the sin of apathy. And church, here's what I would say. I think this is our greatest sin. The 
greatest commandment in the entire Bible is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In church, how easy is it to settle for a six out of 10 faith? Right? It's so easy, isn't it? That we come here, our worship is lame and it's weak and, and it's not focused. We're already thinking about what we've got going on this afternoon and what we have to do for Mother's Day and what the rest of our week looks like. We are so consumed with ourselves, with our relationships, with our schedule, with our plans, with our life that we can't even give God dedicated praise and worship and attention. Right? How many times do we say no to what the Lord would have for us because it might make our lives uncomfortable? Whether in being a bold witness or living with integrity, we just settle. Listen, I feel this in my heart all the time. It's so easy to settle for a six out of 10 faith. Forgive us for that, God. Here's the next one, false teaching. It says some of you in 2.14, it says some of you there hold to the teachings of Balaam. Here was the problem with that church. The church was being more influenced by culture than it was the word of God. They didn't hold up God's word as an authority. They viewed themselves as an authority over scripture. They were going to speak into it rather than scripture speaking over their lives. Church, you know that there's false teaching all over the place today? All over the place, everywhere you look. There's teaching that will tell you, hey, you actually don't really need to repent to be a follower of Jesus. God's gonna love you just the way you are. Repentance, it's more of an Old Testament thing. It was more for the Jewish people. It's not for, for New Testament saints. It's a lie. It is everywhere that, hey, listen, if you just have faith, God's gonna make your life super easy. And actually everything you need to live for is right here on earth in trials and tribulations. That's nonsense. Like it's false teaching its lies. Listen, do we love God's word? Can we defend our hearts against false teaching? Is it a priority in your life at all? Here's the third one, lust and sexual immorality. Revelation 2.21, you tolerate sexual immorality among you. Can I ask a hard question? How many men and women in this room right now are being devoured by lust and sexual immorality? What social media platform is defiling your hearts towards lust right now? What TV show, TV series is defiling your heart towards lust and sexual immorality? In a room this size, how many adulterous relationships are there? How can we come into this place claiming to give sincere worship while our hearts are running after the very thing we know God hates? Chapter three, verse one, hypocrisy. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I, I love this about scripture. 2,000 years ago, Jesus is calling out nice church folk. You see it there? He's like, you have the reputation of being alive. You can, you can talk the talk. You can play the game. You know when to say amen. You know when to raise your hands in worship. You know how to smile and you greet people and you serve and you do all these crazy things. But it's like, man, you're not even the same person when you walk out of these doors that when you walk in these doors. And when you're alone, you're completely different. You're playing the game. You look like you're alive, but you're dead. But you're dead. 
How many of us is he describing with those words? 3.15, he calls the church lukewarm. It's apathy. And I know some of you type A people are like, wait, you've already said apathy. You can't say that again. That's cheating. Well, listen, if Jesus is so urgent about it that he talks about it twice, we probably should too, huh? He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, here's a question. How do we know if we're apathetic or lukewarm? Can I give you a really, really good hard indication? How vibrant your prayer life? Like, are you desperate for God's presence in your life? Or like, are we so good at getting through the day in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own power, in our own might that we walk through life and it's like, God, I don't even really think I need you. At least I don't pray like it. Right, when we go into work or or even as we go hang out with family this afternoon, are we praying like, God, fill me with your presence. Help me to be a a light for you. Help me to be your hands and feet. Help me to to, to guard my heart against sin. Or like, no, I've got it. I'm just gonna do my thing. Have we settled for a life of pride and prayerlessness? And I have a bonus one, and, and that's anger and slander. And this is from James 3. James 3 says this, he says, How great of a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is a fire, or is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord the Father and we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Listen to this. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here's what he's saying. Very, very simply, don't talk bad about other people. You can't claim to love the Lord and want to bless him and then trash others behind their back because it can't be like this. And and church, here's the thing. We live in a culture where unfortunately gossip and slander and trashing people behind their back, it's it's the rule. It's not the exception, right? Like this is everywhere in our society. Did you know that MIT... Um, in 2018. So again, this is before the election. This is before COVID. Um, They came out with a study that says fake news travels six times faster on social media than actual news. So if something's put out there that's not true, it's got six times greater and faster reach than things that are true. You know why? Because the human heart, we run to the salacious, to, to the drama, to things that aren't true. But here's the good thing. I'm sure the election and COVID fixed all of that, right? I'm sure things have gotten way better in the last four years. We love to gossip and slander. Can I ask you a question? Do you engage in this? And I'm gonna use someone that I'm looking at um, right now. I'm gonna use Jeff Stuck as an example. And I just kind of wanna play this out for us. So so here's here's the thing. Um, If I were to come to you, just imagine I come and talk to you and, and I'm like, man, you know what? Jeff Stuck is the worst. He did A, B, and C, and I I heard that he did D. I'm not sure that he did, but it sounds like something he would do. Can you believe it? And and he said X, Y, and and, and Z. Like, like, man, man, what what a terrible person. 
Okay, listen, in that moment, if we're going to honor Christ, your response back to me should be, Cal, why are you telling me this? If you've got an issue with Jeff, go seek peace and resolution with him. I don't have an ear for this. And by the way, the fact that I'm telling this to you should say way more about me than it does him, right? Is that how things work? No. It's, oh man, well, I'm going to be concerned too. And then I'm going to tell other people. And all of a sudden, Jeff's reputation is getting trashed by people who don't even know Jeff because they're running with what they have heard. And church, here's what's really, really dangerous. We get really good at justifying it and deceiving our own hearts that, that we try to believe we're even doing it for good reasons. It's like, hey, can, can, you know, I just need you to pray for me. Okay, why? Because Jeff Stuck stinks, right? And we go into all the reasons of how Jeff Stuck, I just, I'm just asking for prayer. No, it's wrong. Or hey, listen, I love you and, 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 I, and I want to care for you. So stay away from that dude because he's a piece of garbage, Right? Like, like we deceive ourselves thinking we're being holy when we're doing exactly what God tells us not to do. And James says it will set everything on fire. It will set your life, your family, your relationship, churches on fire. Okay, but listen, church, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, I, I need to tell you this. My purpose of this message isn't to condemn. We are clean in Christ and we are forgiven. And God knew all about the sin in our heart and he chose to love us and forgive us anyways. We are not guilty before God. I'm not preaching to condemn, but I'm preaching to convict and I'm preaching to warn. And here's the warning that Haggai gives the people of Israel. Sin travels across borders. The sin in your heart's going to produce devastating effects in your life. Look at verse 15 back in Haggai 2. Here's what it says. It says, now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. And when one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. And so I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. God is saying, hey, when you were living in sin, remember for 18 years, the people returned to Israel and neglected to rebuild the temple. God's saying, how'd that go for you? You planted 20 measures of wheat and you only harvested 10. You, you would plant 20 vats or 50 vats of wine. You'd only get 20, 40% return. He goes, I was doing everything I could to, to, to make your life hard, to get your heart's attention and you still wouldn't turn. Listen, do you ever wonder and consider maybe the difficulties in my life that I'm going through, God is allowing me to walk through because he wants my heart? Or are we just doubling down into sin? This same principle is laid out in Galatians 6. It says this. It says, do not be deceived. Okay, he's saying, don't lie to yourself. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. What we sow in our lives will produce a harvest. So can I ask you a question? What seeds are you sowing in your life today? Are you sowing seeds of bitterness? Are you sowing seeds of dishonesty? Are you sowing seeds of lust? Are you sowing seeds of apathy? Are you sowing seeds of slander? Because here's what I'm, I'm saying. 
that's going to produce a, a, a fruit that you're not going to want to eat. It's going to be bitter. Men, look at me. You have the ability to sow seeds of humility for your family, to sow seeds of soft heartedness, to sow seeds of repentance, to sow seeds of honesty, to sow seeds of love that's going to produce a harvest that's going to bless your family for generations to come. God is not mocked. What we reap, we will sow. And in Galatians 6, 9, guess what he says? He says, then let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. He's saying, hang in there. Don't give up because the harvest is coming. Okay, so here's the next thing I want to do, and I want to talk. It's in your notes. I just call it our decision problem. And, and, and here's why the prophets are dangerous to preach. The prophets create all sorts of problems for us because they force a decision. When you're confronted with sin, you have to decide. You actually can't stay neutral. In Hebrews 3.12, it says this. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any evil or in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All right, so here's the thing. When you're confronted with your sin, you've got a choice. I can either move towards the Lord in a softness of heart, humility and repentance. I can confess it. I can come clean before the Lord or my heart actually gets harder and I'm gonna justify or make excuses or get mad at the guy who's preaching it and I'm gonna dig my heels in and say, I'm not going to do it. And we actually get in worse space spiritually. You have to make a choice. You're going to move one way or the other this morning. Is it going to be towards the Lord or is it going to be towards a hardness of heart? And as we close this passage, I want to look at uh, verse 18. And here's the sixth thing we see. It's that repentance restores relationship. Repentance restores relationship. Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundations of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, so here's what's going on. You have to remember in Haggai 1, God grabs hold of the heart of the king of Israel, Zerubbabel, the leader. And he's like, for 18 years, you guys have done nothing and you've walked away from me. And Zerubbabel's like, you're right. And so they rebuild the temple. And here's what God's saying. He's saying, for 18 years, you've rebelled against me. And he goes, listen, it's not even harvest time yet. There's no grain in the barns. You haven't yielded any harvest. And for 18 years, it's been bad year after bad year after bad year. But he goes, listen, because you turned to me, because you repented, because you did what I called you to do, I will bless you. He's saying, I'm calling it before the harvest even comes. You're going to have a full harvest because I have your hearts now. Okay, and here's what's amazing about God. For 18 years, Pastor Chris talked about this last week, 18 years of rebellion and disobedience, and God restores them in a matter of days. God's speed at which he runs towards repentance and restoration is so much faster than our legs can run us away from him. Right, you see that in the story of the prodigal son. 
The son's like, dad, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to go for years, live off on my own in rebellion. And when he comes to himself and he returns home, the father runs out to meet him and instantly throws him a party. This is the heart of God towards us. He loves us so much that he gave his son so that we might have everlasting life. And he wants us in this moment to return. He says, listen, what you've broken, I will restore. I know Pastor Chris again talked about this last week, but one of the easiest lies to believe when we are in sin is, man, there's no way out of it. I've ran too far. There's no way that's going to fix it. It's a lie that the enemy's using to keep you in that same place. And listen, this room, this church is testimonies hundredfold of people that are like, man, my life was so broken and messed up. But when we turned to the Lord, God saved and rebuilt and restored and healed. It's what he does. But in order for that to come, repentance has to happen. God is always ready and willing to restore. So again, I'm going to ask the big question one more time. What does God think about the condition of your heart and worship today? Like if you could speak to him face to face, what would he say to you? And here's what I'm going to do as we close. We're going to close a little bit differently. Um, I want to close by telling you what I'm actually kind of nervous about. I, I preach this message and I leave here and I'm actually a little bit nervous. And I'm, I'm nervous about three things. All right, here's my first fear. My first fear is actually you're going to leave here in worse shape. That some of you, you were here and you were planning for a nice soft Mother's Day message. And now I've confronted you with some sin in your life and you're actually going to choose to harden your heart and you're going to leave here in worse space spiritually than when you came. You have to make a choice. You have to move. And I'm pleading with you right now, humble yourself, confess your sin, repent. And by the way, what does God want to give us? He wants to give us more of the fruit of his spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can I ask a question? Is there anyone in here that could use more peace in their life? Right, like me for sure. How about patience, kindness? Like these are great and good things that God's like, I have this in abundance. It never runs out. You can have as much as you want as long as you're willing to have a soft heart and be repentant and honor me with your life. It never runs out. We move away from it. It never moves away from us. I'm pleading with you right now. Don't harden your heart when you hear the voice of the Lord. Make today a moment where you can put a, a, a line in the ground and say, this is when I dealt with some things. Don't leave here in worse shape. What a foolish thing to do. Here's my second fear. Um, that you're just gonna be focused on the sin of others right now. I'm worried that you're gonna be sitting here thinking, man, I hope that moron shows up to the 10 o'clock service in Grand Haven. He really needs to hear this. That man, look how this person's sin, how it's blown up their life. Like, like, listen, again, what does God think about the condition of your heart? Just you right now. You're not God. You can't change or fix anyone else. You're called to deal with your sin. Your heart right now, could we just focus on ourselves then here's my third fear. I'm just worried we're going to miss the point. Like, it's funny, but this is what happens when we tend to preach hard messages. It's, it's funny. People will come up to me after the service and be like, man, Cal, I love that message. 
And I'm so thankful for a church that preaches the authority of God's word. And I'm so thankful that we're not scared to call sin, sin. And I'm just so thankful that Harvest is a place that talks about these things. And I appreciate the encouragement, that's great. But here's the thing, you're missing the point if you leave here feeling good about what your church preaches about without ever actually dealing with what I'm preaching about. I don't need to be rah-rah. I wanna be a church whose hearts are soft and humble and we deal with our sin. Dude, there have been so many times this week, I'm like, God, just show me. Show me the things I'm blind to. Reveal my blind spots. God, God, where is there sin in my life that I'm not dealing with because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to play the game. I don't want to settle. I believe with my whole heart that God has so much blessing and power in store for this church. I I really believe that. But it's gonna begin when the people of this church take our sin seriously, that we're known as a repentant people. We're not proud, we're not stuck up, we're not going through the motions. And man, when we get that right, we're going to see so many more lives in this trans or this community transformed. I believe that. But it starts today. It starts with our hearts. It starts with us meeting with the Lord right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, God. And um, I thank you for even as I preach a hard message, how many faces I see that I know are, are locked in in agreement. God, give us soft hearts. God, forgive us for our arrogance. God, would even now as we close in worship that some of people who in here who didn't walk in with clean worship, would they deal with what they need to right now as we pray? God, would you just move hearts? God, I can't do it. I confess that my words are so limited. My strength is weak, but God, you are a consuming fire. You are King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Move in this place. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray.